0: Good morning, good morning. We have been in a series of conversations about the church. Today is, you know, this is the last Sunday before the season of Lent begins. Wednesday is uh, Ash Wednesday, which is also uh, Valentine's Day to you sinners. Um, I'm just kidding. It's one of those rare years where Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day are the same day. That's going to be a lot of fun for those young lovers out to dinner with the... Yeah, I don't I know, it's worlds colliding. I got no big spiritual point to that. That was just, it's just funny to me. Uh, but we've been talking about the church. And the way we've been approaching this, we're asking ourselves questions that we normally ask about ourselves as individuals. So things like, what's my identity in Christ? You know, what's God's will for me? And we're asking those questions about us as a community. It's the same question. So, who are we as a church? What is our identity as a church? And, um, What's our communal calling? Because that's important. And last week we explored this title, uh, the bride of Christ, that the Bible calls the church. This morning we're going to look at another way that we're described in Scripture, and that is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And uh, you've probably heard this very many times, the body of Christ. And so I, I want to try to put kind of a fresh thought uh, or two on this idea of what it is to be the body. You can imagine like this. If if our lives were a movie, then our bodies would be like the lead actors. Your body is how you express yourself. It's how you connect. It's how you make your mark on the world, right? Right now, uh, my body is how I am sharing this message with you today. Without my body, I would just be, you know, like a ghost. I'd be this weird disconnected voice you're just hearing. Um, And so our bodies are You can think of them as the bridge between our thoughts and our actions, right? It's kind of like the bridge between the spiritual world and the physical world, our bodies. So we picture Jesus, right? Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came, he walked this earth, he became the incarnation, we have a big fancy word for that, the incarnation of God himself, the word made flesh. And that's a very big deal, that God himself took on a body, into, and, and that he used that body, Jesus used that body as the ultimate tool of, of love and salvation through his hands, he healed, through his words, he taught, through his presence, he changed the whole world, right? But here's the plot twist, when he ascended into heaven, he handed us the baton, Right? So suddenly we became his body. We became his hands and his feet, his voice here on earth. So it's kind of like Jesus acquired a second body. And that's what you and I are. We're body number two. Right? And according to the scriptures, this is important because it's not just kind of like, you know, a nice little poetic language. This is actually our identity. I'm really ringing here, guys. As the body of Christ, we're not just followers of Jesus. We're extensions of his work. We're extensions of Jesus, right? We are called to act and to to love and to speak as he did. So the church is like this living organism. It's moving and it's growing throughout the earth. Each one of us plays a crucial part in this mission, right? And so if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. But before we get there, I want to touch, uh, just for a second, I want to give you a glimpse of something that Jesus said uh, about this idea in the Gospel of John in the Gospel of John, jesus is he's, he's in it's that last night. He's about to be betrayed, and he's with his people, his friends on the last night, and it was so beautiful, he reveals his inner thoughts in this prayer. He has a private prayer to the Lord, and in chapter seventeen, he's about to go to the cross, and he says to God, "My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message." Now, guys, that's you and me. so he's so he's sitting there with his disciples. That's the them, the them alone. But also for those who believe in me, that's you and me. He's praying for us. He's praying for you and me that we would have this, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a bunch packed into that. And I have given them the glory... That you have gave me, that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. One as Jesus and the Father are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is a beautiful passage. It's a beautiful prayer. But a lot of folks, when they read things like this, they read this, even this prayer of Jesus, they get confused and they think, what Jesus is praying for isn't unity, but uniformity. And uniformity is a totally different thing. Uniformity is, is where everybody looks like me, everybody talks like me, everybody thinks like me, and in order to be a part of this, you know, church of ours, I have to give away my individuality, I have to give away my u- uniqueness, I have to surrender that. Um, are there any Trekkies among us, any, any fans of Star Trek among us? You remember the Borg? The Borg, it was, I think it came out like the late 80s. Because I remember still being a teenager. And when the Borg came out, it was kind of the new big bad in the Star Trek universe. And it was unlike any other villain that they had ever had before. And it was terrifying to me. It was terrifying. Because the thing about the Borg if you remember, was they weren't like other, you know, bad guys, other, you know, those other aliens that would like run after you and scream and everything like that. The Borg were like really slow and they were just relentless. They, you couldn't stop them, right? They would just, in this slow, methodical way, they would just start to come after you. And, and their mantra, anybody remember their mantra as they approached their victims was, resistance is futile. You will be assimilated all right there's some truckies out there assimilated ah that was just like the most chilling words to me uh as as a kid and that's what made them so horrible was their victims weren't just they did just like you're dead no no no. they would like turn their victims into sort of this like zombified half-alived thing that served the collective right and you're everything that was you really was dead like your uniqueness your passions your talents your hopes your dreams you know your will your personhood it was just consumed it was gone but like your body was still there and what I think a lot of Christians fear is that that's what assimilation in the church must be like right so the idea is you join the religion, and then, you know, you got to check your brain at the door, um, and you got to lose your humanity, lose your sense of humor, and any sense of fun, and, you know, anything that ever gave you pleasure before is now verboten and because you're, you know, you're, you're plugged into the church now. And we're, by the way, you're going to just, we turn you into this sort of Stepford wife, I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors super bad now. Right? It's a board step for why well, stay with me. Be, and and w- you have to just comply with everything because we fear any kind of variety, you know, or any kind of, anything that rocks the boat. But what Jesus envisions for his church is actually, it's actually the opposite of uniformity, the board-like assimilation, right? Because uniformity, where we're all the same, here's the secret, it doesn't take a work of God. That's not a big deal. Hum- uniformity is easy. Humans are actually very good at it. We've made a science out of it, right? I mean, you know, you can see a, 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 a good side of this is just join the military, right? You will find out uniformity, right? We know how to make everyone the same. You, you don't need the incarnation of Christ in the world to weed out human uniqueness and create this like uniform collective. What Jesus is praying for is something much harder to achieve. In fact, it takes a miracle on a grand scale. It takes a miracle. Uniformity weeds out our differences. Unity celebrates our differences. See? Unity means what makes you you actually makes us all better you staying you makes us all better and your gifts and your talents that you bring to the table that would be something that was missing without you here if you weren't here we wouldn't just like plug in somebody else to do the same thing no no no. what makes you you is important that it's you and more importantly it requires a miracle of the holy spirit because it's not natural for human beings unity is not natural it is not the way we are wired. We tend, if, you, you know, if, you, if we were being honest with each other, we tend to bristle uh, at, at being around other people who are too different from us. You know, We can sort of tolerate it up to a certain point, but then we're kind of like, all right, you know what? I'm out. You're, you're weird. You're different. Whatever it is. You know, we quit that environment. We want to leave that. We want to seek a different one where everyone is like us, right? It takes a miracle to make us a body. And I want us to remember that today. It takes a miracle to make a body. So as we read a bit through 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to catch a glimpse of what Paul is really trying to explain to the church about itself. And remember, he's talking to us. So we pick up Paul's letter in chapter 12, uh, 1 Corinthians. He's speaking to the church, and he starts out this way. He says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts, he says in verse 4, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord... There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, so so now he's saying each individual, so that's you and you and you and me. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's an important sentence. So Paul's trying to explain, he's trying to explain unity. The concept of unity, not uniformity. He's clearly telling them, number one, this is a work of God. He said, this is a manifestation of the Spirit. This isn't just because we just all decided to be really nice today. But this is a miracle. If it was easy, we, we could try to fake it for a little while, but it wouldn't last long, right? And sometimes what happens in a, in some church circles is it we just forget this. Either we forget this or it just gets... It gets too hard because we get tired of working spiritually. We get tired of being spiritual, right? Working, let's face it, being in the flesh is easier. It's just easier. It comes so much more natural to me to be in the flesh, right? Uh, And and, and so what we do in some circles is, well, after a while, we just resort to uniformity. That's much easier. And you start to get a community that all looks the same. You get a community that all thinks the same, smells the same, votes the same, thinks the same, enforces agreement on every little theological detail, you know, weed out our differences. And we confuse this for walking in unity. We go, wow, look at, look at the unity we walk in, right? But, but that's not the body of Christ. That's just actually what you get naturally if you don't have the spirit working among you. That's what you get naturally. And so it, it's really no more supernatural than having a Costco membership, right? Or being like a Rockets fan. Actually, that takes some supernatural miracle to be a Rockets fan <laughs> right now, but we're going to get better. Uh, but, but it's also why in some Christian circles where, hmm, how do say this? You know, in, in some Christian circles, have you ever noticed a pattern? I've noticed a pattern, not all the time, but there's like an interesting pattern, I find, um, where, you know, there is kind of like this strong adherence to to a very strict party line. Often, you have a very sort of a super boisterous, like alpha male, uh, that's leader kind of in charge, or it could be an alpha female too, that doesn't matter, right? But it's these strong personalities that that are in charge, and often it's because they are really great, they're just naturally good at keeping people marching in line. It's very, they're very good. These bold, brash kind of personalities are often very good just to our, we, we're attracted to them, I'm attracted to them, we get attracted to them, but they're also good at suppressing any differences. They're good at banishing troublemakers. And what happens often is the spirit of that sort of dictatorial leader it trickles down to everyone else, so it becomes sort of a self-enforcing community. You see what I'm saying? If, if you're like, you're crazy, that's fine. Just, we, you can skip this part, you'll catch up with me in a little while. But being in a community, being in a community that, that lives by the Spirit, it doesn't require that. It doesn't require a spiritual dictator to be in charge, because the Spirit of Christ is in charge. That's what we want, right? And God forgive me if I ever get dictatorial because I want Christ in charge, right? Um, I want him in charge. And that's what moves people to actually walk in biblical unity because that's what we want, kingdom unity. You can, if we had time, we don't have time, but if we had time, we could look at the different disciples that Jesus purposefully put together. You probably, remember, we've talked about that before. He on purpose put together some really, a weird mix of disciples, just from all different, a hodgepodge, uh, that he, to, to illustrate this point of unity, and it was a very spiritual thing. So if we read this closely, what we see is that God's at work, and he brings all these people, different people, different gifts, among this really weirdly diverse group of people in such a way that it acts like a body that is God doing the work. it's God doing the work. And what are all these beautiful gifts ultimately given to us for? Let's see. For the common, what's the last word? Good. Yeah, common good. For, for the common good. Paul says, your gift, my gift, whatever it is I bring to the body was given to me for the common good. It was given for the whole. Okay, let's see. In verse 12, he goes on, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Body. So, so we're, we're not like a bunch of bodies of Christ. Kind of like last week, we're not a bunch of brides of Christ. We're one bride. We're not a bunch of bodies of Christ. We're one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and what he's doing, he's acknowledging the things in his day were the things that were divided people. Big time, right? Uh, and he's saying these things are no match for the spirit. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And that's important. You can't have a body if you only have one part of the body, right? I picture that old commercial. Was it like Afrin, the nose walking around on the screen, you know, and he had a cold. It's always very disturbing to me for some reason, right? Because you can't have that, right? You need all the parts working together. Verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, It wouldn't be for that reason to stop. It it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, oh, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And he goes to the point of absurdity here on purpose. It's it's absurd. He's trying to make a point here, right? But in fact, verse 18, this is key. If you walk away with, with, with one thing, this is the verse, verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And there are three, uh, three pieces of this statement that I want to point out are really important. Number one, it's God-dependent. God, God's doing it. It's God-dependent. God's placed the parts. Number two, every one of them. So there's no exclusion. Every, nobody's excluded. Everybody's included, right? And number three, just as he wanted them. So this is a God's will kind of a thing, right? Now, you can resist him. We're not the Borg. You can resist even God, that's kind of crazy, but it's true. But we should know it's him that we're rebelling against, right? Verse 19 says, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And so you can hear in here, there's, there's hints. Paul's, he's got his foot on both sides. He's, you can hear the uniqueness of each individual being acknowledged that, but, that, but they contribute to the whole. There's a big difference between being assimilated and you lose yourself and belonging to a community where you find yourself in a way that you never would if you were by yourself. And what God does is he brings all these people together from all different, all different backgrounds, their uniquenesses, their gifts, their quirks, and he forms us into something bigger, fuller, and Richer. Something we cannot be by ourselves as individuals. And we're no longer these independent little islands that are all isolated from each other. That's not what it's about. We always say no one walks alone. And if you're walking alone, it doesn't make you evil. It just means you're doing it the hard way. Walking alone is doing it the hard way. You're not, that's not what we're made for. There's almost kind of an interdependence that the Bible describes here. And he really describes it brilliantly in this next part. Uh, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. If you're here today and you feel like I'm a weak part of the body, you're actually indispensable. We, We need you. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. And that kind of has a, a connotation of a similar thing of, of a way we adorn it. We adorn it in a special way. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division. Repeat it after me. No division. No division in the body. No division in the body. No division in the body. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So we don't lose our uniqueness, right? In the church, what's great is you actually get to, we get to connect with a body that cares for us and loves us. It's, this is a body that if we're doing this thing right, it, it makes you stronger when you're, when you're weak. It helps us heal when we're injured. And it gives us purpose beyond anything we would ever experience if we were just walking alone by ourselves. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What a beautiful picture of, of us if we're doing this thing right, right? And this is where we do see the kingdom is really at odds with our current culture. Because, you know, this term like uh, cancel culture we have today. I don't really love that term, but it, it's out there. It's, it seems to be a truth. And in this world outside, if someone is struggling if someone fails like they're they're just done we're donezo with them right we don't they're they're all gone if someone fails if someone hurts often we kind of especially you know in our circles and we're Texans right and so we have this sort of rugged individualism that says like i don't need anybody's help and i don't really want to give anybody any help right and, and if you live by like a strict utilitarian worldview, that makes a lot of sense. If you have a little toe that's hurting, sometimes it's just better to cut it off than let it slow us down, right? We got a, we got a mission to do. You're, you're holding us back. We're just going to cut it off. And the church without the Holy Spirit can operate like this sometimes. and Not even realize it. Because it's easier sometimes just to break company with people, to, to just not join with people who are a little odd, who are a little different, or they think different, or they you know, vote different, or whatever it is. It's easier to not rejoice with people when, when they, something good happens to them, it, rather than see them as an essential part of who we are. And here's where the miracle comes into play again. Because this gifting that God has designed me for, whether it's big or small, it doesn't matter. It's actually meant to be a blessing, not for me, but for everyone else. So you're gifting. When we when we hear Paul and these letters talk about the gifts, and you have this gift and you have this gift, they're not like for you. They're not like, yay! Look what I got for Christmas. It's mine. It's actually yours. Like my gift is your gift. I'm, it's just kind of I'm like the deliverer, and your gift is for the rest of us. You're just delivering it, right? Isn't that beautiful? And so that means I can lose, I can completely lose my need to like compete. That that feeling that I'm competing with anybody. When somebody else suffers, I can come alongside. I can weep with those who weep. I can rejoice with those who are blessed. And and what I do is I get to even experience the overflow of that blessing. All without jealousy, without competitive spirit, without fear of folks like who are different than me. It says if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Now, Why isn't that always, always practiced in the church today? Because that's a beautiful phrase. If we're honest, that doesn't always happen. Why is that? I think largely, a couple of reasons, largely to the fact that we, we keep our suffering to ourselves very often. And sometimes that's through pride. That's just pride. It's just the way I am. I don't want anybody to know what I'm going through because it's like I'm going to experience some sense of shame out of that, you know? And that's a very real thing with people. Like, I, I'm going to experience shame because I'm suffering about something. Or it might be, you know, it just might be the culture we grew up in. Or a generational thing or something like that. No, you just, you, you swallow that, you keep it to yourself. It's also through bad doctrine. Can we just admit that? Right? There's some bad doctrine that you hold your struggles silently. So, you know, the gods don't hear you sounding ungrateful. And it's just completely antithetical to how Scripture says the body of Christ operates. Right? He says this, now you all are the body of Christ. Now, here he's moving off from, you know, this whole thing is like a body. Now he's saying you are the body. He's being even more emphatic here. He moves, he's moving to identity. You are the body of Christ. Keep in mind too, the, you, the you's are plural, as we like to say, right? The, if, if it was written in text in English, this would be y'all. Y'all are the body of Christ. And each one of you, there's the individual, is a part of it. Now, here's where Paul lets us know something very important that we're in this together. Nobody's left out. Nobody gets to opt out. This is important. There are no spectators in church. In the church. I'm talking about in the church, Not, not spectators that might come to church. And that's fine. You can be a spectator. And come to church. You're checking things out. You're like, oh, I want to be. I wanna see if I, you know, I like the vibe of this place. If I can connect with these people, that's cool. You're a spectator. That's okay. But you can't be an observer and truly be part of the church, Amen. right? And that's. I'm not like trying to be judgy or anything like that. That's just truth. That's just the way the church is. To be part of the church, this isn't like participating. We don't participate in this like we're going to a restaurant. You know, you can go to your favorite restaurant and. It's not like you own that restaurant, you know, you don't have like, this is my place. You know, you know no, you, you go and you enjoy it and then you leave. But with the church, it is different. This is part of our identity. And so Paul, here he starts to get really practical in verse 28. He says, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, their teachers and miracles, then gifts of healing and helping and guidance and different kinds of tongues. And then he asks a question, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? You get the picture. And, and the answer to these questions is no. But the reason is because diversity is actually necessary in order for the body to function. It's necessary. Now you may function in some of these areas at different times, at different, different ways, right? But we're all differently gifted by God, and it's on purpose. It's not because there's something deficient about you, right? This is on purpose. So God does not want you to measure yourself or your worth by what other people are doing, right? The fact that maybe your contribution around here isn't as public as somebody, it doesn't make your contribution less holy doesn't make you less holy. Doesn't make you less valuable. If your contribution is like super public, you know, if you're like up here on the stage singing or preaching or something, like, doesn't make you more holy. Doesn't make you more valuable at all, right? So I want to kind of distill all of this. We've we've had a lot of sort of this esoteric body talk. I want to distill this into kind of like three aha statements here. Three things. Okay. Number one, I want to say it again. Unity is a miracle. Unity is a miracle. Um, I want to hammer this home because it's easy to take for granted, I think, kind of what we have here at Generations. It is a beautiful, special thing. This priority that we have placed on the value of unity, not uniformity. It's easy to come here. If you come here for a long time, you just start to assume it's very common. Everybody must have that, surely, right? I mean, that's just Bible stuff, right? But, or worse, you might, you might be like, ah, that's something like we need to fix, <laughs> right? But a place where everybody is exactly the same, talks the same, believes exactly the same, isn't allowed to disagree and question and wrestle and looks the same and experiences the comfort of a peaceful uniformity, that's not a body, that's a cult, <laughs> all right? <laughs> or, or if I was going to be a little more gracious, I would say that's a club, Okay? Uh, It doesn't take a miracle, I'll say it again, to make everybody the same. All you really got to do is be mean. And someone in charge who's mean. You just have to exclude people and make them feel not welcome because they're messing up the vibe. Uh, but what we have here, and I'm just telling you, I, I, I know because I have friends who go to other churches, and not all churches, this, there's a lot of great churches, good churches, but I have, friends, I have friends who preach in other churches who travel, and they preach, and they have that opportunity, and the thing we got here that I keep hearing back from person after person who comes and ministers here is, what you guys got here is not typical. It's true. I'm not making that up. And and I'm not saying we're the only one or anything prideful like that. And I'm not saying we do it perfectly because holy cow, we don't do it perfectly. I know that. Um, But what we have here that is in common with with other good churches is that we have prioritized a Jesus-centered unity. And we've made that a core value. A Jesus-centered unity is a core value. And it's not just like some kind of cute little granola saying, like, it's, it's important to us, and we are going to keep pursuing that because we see this as a sign of the Holy Spirit moving in a world that is tearing itself apart right now under our noses. More than ever, this core value is needed in this world. Right. Bringing into unity that which is different is how Jesus operated in his world. And he lived in kind of a world, uh, you know, in a lot of ways like ours. It was tearing itself apart. There was a lot of people. There was like civil war brewing and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus came in and he got people who were very different. And he brought them together in unity. And what he was doing is demonstrating the kingdom. He didn't say, yeah, let's form a faction so we'll be ready for the civil war. No. He said, let's show the world a different way. Let's show the world a kingdom, how the kingdom of God operates. And that's what we want to do. We just want to be like Jesus as much as we can. So we want to live that way. And he says what happens is you and I will live this way. We, and that way, when we engage with culture, you know, they'll see us and they'll go, look, look, look at those generations, folks. They do not all look the same. Like I could not give you a, here's a stereotypical generations looking person, right? Doesn't exist. They don't look the same. They don't think the same. They don't share the same opinions. I know that's true because I get your emails. <laughs> and I love it. I love them. It's great. I mean, that's, that, that's just, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. We're, we're doing it right. Uh, and by the way, that is how people nowadays, it seems like, primarily divide up is opinions, right? It's not, I don't want to go. No, I'm not going to go there. Okay. I'll get in trouble. But the world will look at us and go, they may not put it like this, but what they're thinking is only God could do that. Only God could put all those people together who really have no reason to be hanging out. And he puts them all together. And not just tolerating, loving, loving each other, right? And that's why Jesus says, they will know you by your love. And it's your love for each other. That's what he was really saying in that scripture. If you go back and, yeah, we're supposed to love the world. But that particular scripture, he's actually saying the way you love each other. That's what the world's going to notice. Isn't that something? The way you love each other, that requires a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Unity is a miracle. Say it with me. Unity is a miracle. Unity is a miracle. All right. Number two, to belong to Christ is to be part of his body. To belong to Christ is to be part of his body. To be saved is not just about getting the ticket to heaven. It's to be called to a vocation. It's to be given a purpose, a mission that is bigger than yourself. It's to be given an assignment, a role to play in the body of Christ. From a New Testament perspective, really hear me on this. The idea of being a solo Christian is unintelligible. It's it's like trying to swim without water. It doesn't exist. Last week, we talked about being the bride of Christ, right? And how we're all one bride. And, and that salvation brings us into a covenant. And that, that language of the bride of Christ, you remember, it's really trying to get at how just intimate that covenant is. That God forms with us, at Jesus. And it's like a marriage. So he compares it to a marriage. So you're like the bride. We're like the bride. And, um, but imagine it like this. If you were to think that you could be married to Jesus without embracing his body. That's kind of nuts. Right? What if on my wedding day... Um, I'm up there at the altar and the pastor said, Melissa, do you want to take Scott to be her husband? What would you think of her if she said, oh yeah, I mean, I love him. I'll marry him. I don't want his body. Now, come on, she would be nuts not to want this body. I mean, <laughs> come on, let's face it. No, I, I get it. I wouldn't either. But, but you get the point, right? To marry somebody is to marry their body, right? I mean, just try doing it a different way. It don't work. It's part of the package. This is why Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7, that when you're married, you don't even own your own body anymore. You belong to each other, right? Your spouse is, is a co-owner of your, your body, and you give it to one another. It's, it's what it means to have a one flesh relationship in the Bible. And so that's the relationship Christ has with his bride, which we've joined into. And to belong to Christ is to be part of his body. Now, this body of Christ may not be a perfect body, Right? It may smell a little funny sometimes. It may get a little flabby. It may need to work out a little bit more, eat less breakfast tacos, right? Guys, started this year. My doctor says, you gotta do something. And so uh, I started like getting more sleep. I joined a gym. I started working out. I started like intermittent fasting, doing all these little cool things. And uh, I weighed myself this morning. I've gained one pound. So, <laughs> true story. So, um, just pray for me, because <laughs> none of that worked, but I'm going to keep trying. Um, to bury somebody is to bury their body. Okay, yeah, so this body of Christ, it may not be perfect, right? The body, it isn't always at its best. There, this body of Christ might need to be kinder to each other in the church and outside the church. We might not, this body might need to stop being so afraid of what people are saying behind its back, Right? There, there are members of this body, not this body, but the, the body, you know, I understand. There's members who sometimes they feel more like a, a wart than a finger, but, but, but we love them. We love them anyway, right? If we're part of Christ, if we're a bride of Christ, if we're joined with Christ, if we belong to him, then we are part of his body. It's a package deal. And our commitment doesn't hinge, our commitment to Christ doesn't hinge on on how much we, you know, just really want to be best friends with everybody. It's really based on your ultimate commitment to Christ. And so like we said last week, opting out really isn't an option. The last take home that we get from this passage from Corinthians is this, number three. We all have a role to play in the body. All of us have a role. Paul says the Holy Spirit in the church distributes each gift to each one as he determines. And so that means everybody has a gift. That's exciting. That's exciting. Everybody has, to get, everybody has been empowered to, by the Spirit, to have something to share, to have a role in the body of Christ, everybody. Now that means, if Generation's Church, which, which I've heard rumblings of this, that if Generation's Church is functioning in a way that, like most organizations in the world function, have you heard the old thing, 20 percent of the people doing 80 percent of the work, if we're functioning that way, then that's not God's best. Right? That's the world's way, but that's not the way we want to do things. It means, uh, that means somebody's you know, not being part of the body. They're not playing the role or contributing the gifts that God has given them for the good of the body. It means there might be folks who have been coming for a while, but they, still identi- they may identify with the body. They're like, yeah, this is my church, but functionally, they're acting like spectators. And that's not to condemn, it's just to inspire us It's it's to state a fact. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have a role to play in the body of Christ, right? Because the body says, we've all been given a gift. Each one is given a role to play. There's no superfluous body parts. I always want to say superfluous when I see that word. There's no superfluous body parts, right? Like wisdom teeth, I heard like you don't need them. They're just vestigial something but or you know or your appendix like does it do anything do they ever find out if the appendix does anything yeah. nobody's an appendix we all have a role to play is my point and, and by the way here's another kind of aha moment your your gifts as I said before your gifts are they don't necessarily belong to you it's more like they're on loan to you right so so my spiritual gifts don't belong to me like like a permanent superpower right I have the gift of blah blah um like, a, like I was given a sweater for Christmas. The gifts are actually given to the church, and I am the bearer of it for the moment. You kind of see the difference? So the gift that flows through you, it isn't a gift for your benefit, but for the benefit of everybody else. Okay, and before we go, I just want to push back on a couple of, uh, real quick, a couple of wrong ideas and really, I think these are kind of like lies from the devil uh, that might be keeping you from, from serving. Some people hear, uh, you know, a message like this and they think, well, you know what? I just really have nothing to offer. I mean, it's not like you're lazy or anything. I understand. But you're just like, I don't have anything to offer. I'm, just, I'm simple. Maybe I'm, und- I'm uneducated. I'm unskilled. I don't have any talent. You know, I can't play guitar like Daniel. You know, uh, or, you know, what? I'm not, I'm not a super righteous Christian like everybody else here is. I'm still struggling with weaknesses. I'm still struggling with sin. Now, if you're thinking that, and you're listening to this right now, that is in contradiction to everything we just read, isn't it? Right? Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a gift. So let me just declare right now that if you're thinking, when, if you're thinking that, I'm a nobody, I've got nothing to offer, On on the authority of God, I can declare that is a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? Can I be so bold? Each of us is equipped with unique gifts, even if we can't see them. The thought that you're a nobody with nothing to offer, that's not just false. It's not just a myth. That is a deception. And your presence is invaluable, regardless of education or background or mistakes you've made or talent or anything. And if you're, let me say this, if you're unsure of your... uh, Your role or your gift. Don't wait for a bolt of lightning for that revelation, right? Action is the best teacher. Amen? Dive into various activities, I would just encourage you, and serve where you see a need. Sometimes I think we confuse a gift with talent. You may have a great talent, but that might not actually be your gift to the church. Right, Your gift to the church, this is, this is really good. You should listen to this part. <laughs> your gift to the church um, isn't always the area you are extremely talented in, in the outside world. Uh, sometimes your gift is simply your willingness to serve wherever there's a need. That is the greatest gift there is. I'm just telling you. That's the greatest thing. Uh, we've known in our church, we've known CEOs. We've known professors uh, whose gift to the church was pushing a vacuum cleaner during the week or burping babies on Sunday morning. That's what they did when they came here. And, and other times, what is needed is maybe that, that very unique skill or talent that you have. But we don't, don't wait for a sign from heaven uh, to engage. It's, it's through doing that we discover uh, our place in God's plan. Here's another falsehood I want to dissuade you of. Uh, if you're concerned that your past disqualifies you from serving... I've just got one thing to say, and that is God's grace makes all things new. Amen. It makes all things new. I'm a testimony of that myself. Your history, no matter how messy, doesn't negate your value or, or your ability to contribute. Everybody has a clean slate in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. One last thing I'll add to this is that it is okay to take a break uh, if you're healing from life's wounds. We're not here to work you to death. And maybe you've come out of an abusive situation, uh, you know, or or maybe you've like been burned by, you've been burned out or burned by a church or you're in a situation where you're still kind of like healing from kind of some kind of like spiritual shell shock. Um, I get that. And there's no judgment at all uh, for being wounded and needing a touch from the Lord. If you go break your arm, you know, it needs to sit in a sling for a while, um, but remember this, recovery is a pathway back to participation. Recovery is a pathway back to participation. So don't let, you know, temporary setbacks keep you permanently on the sidelines. If, if you're on year seven of being in the injured reserves, it might be time to dip your toe in the water, right? Uh, sometimes healing even can be advanced by that. Um, but everyone... Healed and healing, and we're all being healed, okay? We all have a role to play in the body of Christ. Uh, I want to put on the screen here this is just something. Uh, it's a link <clears throat> you can go to to check out different areas that we have here at Generations to serve in volunteer ministry. Um, to be part of the body of Christ and to serve isn't only to, you know, to have a a job at the church that you go to. There's other ways outside the church. Many people are involved in ministries and things like that. That's awesome. And we just consider you an extension of generations out there in the world. That's beautiful. But these are ways uh, that you can be involved here in this body. And, and the list here is not even exhaustive, I'm pretty sure. Um, and I have to confess something. Uh, I'll just admit that I am often have been, uh, do a better job at highlighting uh, the needs of ministries and causes outside our body Uh, than I do the ministries inside our body. And that is on me. That is just a blind spot uh, of mine that I want to correct. But the reality is that we we do need people. We need folks to step up for the ministries inside our church and the teams that keep this place running beautifully and blessing other people and being a blessing to our community. And so I encourage you to, to look around And ask, what can you do? What could you do to be a part of this body of Christ here at Generations? we got a lot of opportunities, a lot of needs, and we're not begging uh, because the Lord provides. But I just want to invite you to embrace that life of of being part of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, right? The family of God. And what we're capable of. I truly believe, guys, what we're capable of, uh, if the whole body of Christ were to function as his body, it's limitless. Like what we could accomplish, what we could do, what the Lord has told us to do, if we all step up, if we all just play our, our role, um, not trying to do it all, but just trying to play our role, use our gifts for the common good, right? Be the body. I think generations can be a place where we do everything God's called us to do. And he's called us to he's put a lot of things on our hearts that uh, just in the natural Well, Lord, that doesn't even seem possible yet, you know, and we'll keep taking steps of faith, but we could do, we can do those things. We also want to be a place where nobody's burned out, right? I don't want to use 20% of us doing 80% of the work. I want 100% doing all of it together, right? Working together because everybody's bringing their uniqueness to the table. Everybody's, Everybody's loved. Everybody's accepted. Everybody's celebrated. That's the kind of place I want to go to. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me while I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord God. I thank you for your scriptures, Lord God. I thank you for the fact that you're willing to work uh, through physical people with all of our imperfections to accomplish your will. And God, we admit that, that we, your body, we're an imperfect body. But you and your grace, you call us to be part of it. And you call us to be the means by which you minister to the whole world. And so, Holy Spirit, will you just uh, direct us and guide us and lead us Give us those right little nudges that we need as we see so many wonderful opportunities before us to serve in this church, Lord God. Lord, these are your ministries. This is your church. And there's, there's a lot of things that we need people to step up and do. So just direct and guide each one of us, Lord God. Give us a heart to serve so that our salvation benefits other people, not just ourselves. And those, Lord God, who are already serving so faithfully here. God, thank you for those precious folks here. And bless them, Lord God, and pour out your joy and your rest, your inspiration into them and their families, Lord God, because we know that we can never, ever outgive you, Lord. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. The body of Christ said, amen, amen, amen. Our prayer partners, if you guys would come forward now, one of the other teams you could serve on is our beautiful prayer partners. They love to pray with you. Whatever you've got going on in your life, you need a miracle from the Lord, Uh, I encourage you to just step forward and let them just be that that second person in agreement with you, right? Where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. And so come forward, let them pray with you in faith. And uh, it's not the same when we pray. Good things happen. Amen. We stand to your feet. May the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you until we can be together again. In Jesus' name, grace and peace. Bye-bye.